Our second lesson for this morning comes from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. Paul has been on his missionary journey. This is his second missionary journey. And he has, surprise, surprise, been kicked out of another city. And Silas and Timothy have stayed there, and he has gone ahead to Athens. This is what happens there. Listen for God's word to speak to you. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. lost my place. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And God is not served by human hands as if God needed anything. Rather, God, God's self, gives everyone life and breath, and everything else. From one man, God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and God marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek God and perhaps reach out for God and find God, though God is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now God commands all people everywhere to repent For God has set a day when God will judge the world with justice. By the man God has appointed, God gave proof to this by everyone, by raising him from the dead. Well, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed 
Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you that you show us to yourself. Show you yourself to us in many and various ways that in you we live and move and have our being and you are not far from us. Lord God, speak to us now in this time. Speak not with human words, but speak with your Spirit. Let us hear your word for us this day. Bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts. May they be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this may not be a surprise to any of you who have said me, seen me speak before. I'm a fan of science fiction and fantasy, right? And there's often a trope in science fiction and fantasy shows recognizing that not everyone is familiar with this world that we are creating. And so oftentimes there will be a character, someone that the audience can kind of grab onto where they can see this world through their eyes and sort of understand how this works, right? So in, in Doctor Who, Doctor Who has been running since the late 60s. And certainly everyone who's watching hasn't watched since then. There's a lot of background and a lot of different things. And so the Doctor will have this companion, who amazingly is usually from the 20th or 21st century, usually Britain. And they are going around saying, what's that? Oh, what's that? And then the doctor gets to explain it to that person and also to the audience. In Star Trek, they will come up with some fancy way to solve the problem and they say, oh, it's just like this, and then come up with a ridiculous metaphor so that the audience goes, oh, okay, I understand what you're doing, right? In Lord of the Rings, there's the hobbits who have no idea what the rest of Middle Earth looks like, but we can kind of connect with them, and so we get to see things through their eyes. One of the most interesting ways that I've seen this be used is a science fiction show called Farscape. It was produced by the Jim Henson Company, but actually was fairly high science fiction. It was this whole unique world with all sorts of crazy creatures, as you imagine Jim Henson can create. But the main character is an astronaut who's been sent across the universe from the late 20th century. And he is constantly making references to pop culture, to all the things that he is used to, even though it's completely lost within the world. All the other characters have no idea what he's talking about, but we as the audience do. It gives us a touch. Stone. It gives us an idea of, oh, I know what he's talking about there. 
great. So why in the world am I talking about this? In fact, why do we, I even do these kind of cold openings to my sermons where I talk about some random bit, usually of pop culture? Because we need touchstones. We need connections. Some of us have grown up in the church, and so we are very familiar with all the stories of Scripture, though I dare say Acts has kind of pushed us a little bit. We're maybe not as familiar with it. But not everyone is. Not everyone knows exactly what we're talking about when I say Athens or Paul or any of the other things that I talk about. So we need those little anchors, those little notes that tells us oh, how this is how this connects to my world. It's easy to look at Scripture and say it's a bunch of stories that have no connection to my life. In fact, there are lots of people who have that very thought about Scripture. But we gather together in worship, virtually, in person, however we might gather, to see how Scripture applies to our lives, and so we need those points of connection. Paul has been on his missionary journeys and has been going through all sorts of areas. He has been speaking to, to Jewish folks, and now he is speaking primarily to Gentile folks, those who did not grow up Jewish. We might remember the last time that we visited with Paul trying to proclaim to Gentile folks, and it ended up with them trying to worship him as a god. Didn't work out so well. But he's learned a lot of things since then. And this sermon in Athens is one of the shining examples of Paul proclaiming the gospel to a culture that is not his own. What's interesting about this sermon is that he uses lots of references. He uses clever pop culture. He's speaking before philosophers. Now, this is Athens. This is the birthplace of philosophy, Western philosophy at least. This is the home base for Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. At this point in which Paul is speaking, the two sort of big rival schools for Athens are the Stoics and the Epicureans. They have started here in this very place, a response and the next connection and the next step after Aristotle. They hear Paul speaking about this man from, Jerusalem, or from Nazareth, this one who has come and is more than they expected. And they want to hear more. Because Paul is proclaiming, yes, he goes to the synagogue, the center of Jewish life, but then he goes to the Stoa. 
The stoa was a large pillared area, pillars all the way across and this sort of covered portico thing in the very center of the city. This was the place where if you had art that you wanted to sell, you could go to the stoa and you could sell your art. If you had produce to sell, you could go and give, uh, sell your produce. If you wanted to play music or gather together or talk over things, you would go to the stoa. It was the marketplace. It was the center, not only of the actual city, but the center of sort of Athenian life. And it is where the Stoics got their name because this is where they would hang out and the place where people would hang out. And they would talk over things. A very Jewish interpretation editorial note here in Acts is that the Athenians, they really just wasted all of their time just talking about stuff. My wife is giggling because, so I'm a philosophy major. And if the, you know, when got a master of divinity, of theology, there were lots and lots and lots of conversations where I'll get super jazzed up about it. And she's like, this is stupid. So that's the, the author of Acts is kind of going, this is dumb. But you know what? I'll tell you the story anyways. But the Athenians are really interested. These Stoics are really interested in what Paul is saying. And so he proclaims the gospel to them. But he doesn't proclaim the gospel to them in the way that he, say, proclaimed to a synagogue. There he would make references. We read it in the Sunday school this morning. He would make references to Moses and to the Psalms, to the prophets. But he doesn't do that here. No, he proclaims the gospel and starts by telling them, you know what, you're very religious. I like that. That's a good thing. But I saw that you had this idol, this idol to an unknown God. There are all sorts of theories where this may have come from, but it seems that there was an idol that had no thing, no actual idol at it. Just maybe a pillar that said to the unknown God. Some think this may actually be an idol to the Hebrew God that has come over to Athens. Others suggest maybe it's just sort of a cover our bases, make sure that we have every God covered. These people that Paul is listening to are going to be taking this very different ways. The um, Epicureans didn't like any talk of God's. They didn't like any talk of anything supernatural. And so, as Paul talks about how their idols are useless, they'd be there with him. Yes, you're right. But he also proclaims something greater. This unknown God, this divine being who is above all and in all and through all, in which we live and move and have our beings and the Stoics would be hearing this and saying, yes, you are talking about, some of them would call it Zeus, though not sort of the story of Zeus. Some of them would call it Logos, Word. 
which those of you who are familiar with the beginning of John's gospel might recognize as in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Paul proclaims to them that this foundational being, God, wants to be understood and desired. But God is not far from you. God's right here. Right where you are. You see, Paul is not proclaiming a God, some foreign God like they thought. This God of ours that we understand and we have all the knowledge about and we're going to come and bring this God to you. No, Paul is proclaiming a God who is already here. God who is already at work in your culture. A God who calls you to reason. A God who calls you to foundational truth. A God in whom your very own prophets have said, we are all God's children. He takes those things that they understand. Takes those ways in which God has already spoken to the people of Athens and lifts them up. And says, this thing that you understood in this way, now understand in a new and different way. This God, who is above all and in all, has come down in Jesus to give salvation. And calls you now to repent. And for those Athenians, they would not hear it as we do in sort of a... (laughs) Baptist preacher kind of, repent! But as a turning around. Changing your focus. Instead of these other things, to focus on the living God. Many people in that place believed Paul. Came to believe in Jesus as Savior, as Lord. Some didn't. It's okay. But Paul is showing us how we proclaim the gospel. We talk about this all the time, don't we? I tell you, we need to go and, and, and proclaim the gospel, the good news to everyone. But how do we do it? This is one way that Paul shows us. Take those touchstones. Find those places where God is already at work. Guess what? God is always working. Never not working, right? Like the conditioner thing. God is never not working. God works through story. God works through music. God works through movies and TV and a good book. God works through amazing stories of of sports people in the Olympics. God works through all of these things, and these things we can grab onto and say, you know what? It's kind of like this. 
You know how you're touched when you hear this song or this story? Here's how God touches me. As we look and find where God is near to each one of us, where God speaks to us, yes, through Scripture, but also through our culture, where God works very much against what culture is doing as well. As we find these touchstones, as we pull these threads, we gather people together to understand more deeply who this living God is. God is near to you. God is near to those that you might talk to and proclaim the gospel to, whether they know it or not. In God, we live and move and have our being, and all of us are children of God. And so, we, as the people of God, follow the Holy Spirit in order to serve all God's children and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ using every tool available to us. Amen.